0: Finding Camel fans will find it difficult to believe that it's been 27 years since Janice Washington arrived in Bowie's Creek, all the way from Slidell, Louisiana. Over the next five years, she played a pivotal role in some of Campbell women's basketball's greatest moments, including the program's first ever NCAA postseason berth. Following graduation, Janice spent a total of nine seasons on coach Wanda Watkins' staff, helping lead the Camels in the A Sun and in the second Big South Conference era. Along the way, she set school records, earned all-conference honors, and served on the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. And she recently returned to the Creek, taking a rare break from her head coaching duties at Lincoln University in Pennsylvania to take part in Wanda Watkins Day festivities. My name is Stan Cole, class of 1987, and this is our next installment of Tales from the Creek where we visit with people who have made this place special over the years. I'm delighted today to be joined by Campbell women's basketball great Janice Washington. Welcome to Tales from the Creek, Janice, and thanks for taking the time to visit with us.
1: Thank you so much, Stan, and thank you guys for having me.
0: Well, it's our pleasure, Janice. Where I like to start is where it all started. How did this basketball journey begin for you, Janice? What are your earliest recollections of of getting into the game?
1: My earliest recollections were just leaving basketball practice to go to gymnastics. I was a gymnast by, that was my first love. I would leave basketball practice, even through high school, to go to gymnastics practice. And at the time, my high school coach told me I needed to make a decision. And that same day, I left to go to gymnastics practice because I had a meet coming up. So uh, my junior year of high school, I decided that I would no longer participate in gymnastics and i would totally kind of focus on basketball and softball
0: so tell me where did when did you start with organized gymnastics when did you start with organized um, basketball and other sports Mm -hmm. how old were Uh,
1: organized gymnastics i started when i was five i was a level nine optional gymnast by the time i decided to retire from gymnastics and so uh the olympics those play those athletes are competing at level 10. And so um, that was my first love. If you remember the backflips at the uh, sure. at the uh, tournament down in Pelham. But um, I started playing basketball organized as the sixth grade manager in middle school for mm-hmm. my sister's team. And the coach said that I needed to get in the layup line and I just thought I was the manager and so I would be able to practice with them but I couldn't play in the games because at the time sixth graders weren't allowed to play middle school basketball so I started playing at that point in time I was fast I was athletic but not very skilled and so just starting the process of learning how to play basketball
0: well from five year age five into middle school Mm -hmm. um and then on into high school. There's a lot of development, there's a lot of changes. What uh, what drew you to basketball and away from what your first love was in gymnastics?
1: I think the biggest thing that has always challenged me was people telling me that I couldn't do something. And as a four foot eight basketball player at the time, people were constantly telling me that I would never be a good basketball player. You know, I was a gymnast, I was very, very tiny at the time. And it was constantly like, you're never going to be good at basketball. You're not going to be good at basketball. There's no opportunities out there for you to play basketball. You just need to stick it out and play gymnastics. I had a fantastic growth spurt of three inches once I quit <laughs> gymnastics. Um, and again, that's a funny story because when people stand next to me and I say, no, I quit gymnastics to play basketball, you know, it's a... It's a, it's a It's comedy because I am so short. But, you know, when you make a decision to do something and to, number one, like prove people wrong and always, you know, do things to, you know, push these naysayers to the side. And so that was the thing. And I was always fiercely competitive, as you know. Um, I just I always was a competitor, and I always wanted to be the hardest worker in the room. When I was in high school, one of the things that I said when we – you know, did a celebration of a number of us there, I said, I don't ever think I was the best player on any team I played on, but there's nobody that ever watched us that wouldn't say that wasn't the hardest worker. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted to be entertaining. Like I always wanted to entertain people. And I think that came with me from being a gymnast.
0: Sure. Um, and and the gymnastics, all the different disciplines, and the the wow factor of it—whether it's the bars or the or the floor exercise mm-hmm. or the vault or, or anything like that—there is that, the the that aha moment that everybody's looking for, and and there's flips and spins, and then they stick the landing, and and the applause goes crazy, and. Um, you know, and it's it's very similar to a great play in basketball, uh, highlight reel type performance. So that's that's not that's not surprising um, for me to 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 draw that parallel. For, um, Janice, tell us about growing up in Slidell, Louisiana. <laughs> um, you know, most folks around here, uh, you know, they don't know. They think everything in the entire. Um, uh state of Louisiana is down on the bayou or something yes. like that. Well, d- just tell me about what it was like growing up there.
1: Um, Slidell is a really small town. It's probably very similar to Dunn. There's not a whole lot around there. And so one of the things that is big in southern Louisiana is sports. And Slidell has made itself known as a haven for basketball players, for football players during my time in high school we had football players that went to lsu we had a football player that went to alabama that played for bear bryant uh and we had a few baseball players that went to lsu and won national championships and things like that and then basketball became huge there um as well and so you know chris duhan came to the same school that i went to and then uh kalani brown also went to school there um i actually played with her uncle, and my sister played with her mom. And so uh, basketball circles in Slide L were very, very small. There are about six of us from Slide L that are college coaches that keep in touch.
0: Oh, my goodness. Salmon High School, you named All-State three times, mm-hmm. an All-American in basketball, twice named All-State in softball. My question is, how did those college coaches in Louisiana let you get all the way to North Carolina to pursue pursue your education and athletic dreams?
1: Well, honestly, part of the reason that I'm at Campbell or part of the reason that I ended up at Campbell was because of a coach by the name of Katie Myers, who's now the head coach at Miami. She was at Tulane at the time, Mm -hmm. and she just told our coach that if I were four inches taller... Which is exactly the same thing that every other coach said mm-hmm. in the state, and so it's a very interesting thing. I was actually recruited by Elon and mm-hmm. Campbell, mm-hmm. and so um, you know I decided to come to Campbell because of the law school. At the time, I had aspirations of doing tax law, uh, but um, you know that was the thing. I was a small point guard, so they didn't come into style until about two or three years after I graduated from college. And so, um, being a small guard, you have to just you know continue to show people why. You deserve to be at this level.
0: So, you mentioned Coach Meyer at uh, Tulane. Uh, what? Uh, how did you find out about Campbell? Where? What was your your first um, contact with the staff, and where did they where did they find out about you?
1: So, um, I, my first contact with them was over the phone. They found out. Uh, so, my coach had made some phone calls, and so she knew Coach Brenda of mm-hmm. Elon, and. She had been recruiting me. They saw me over the summer. I played with a really, really phenomenal AAU program. Mm -hmm. And Coach Slayton, my high school coach, sent the film up to Coach Watkins and Coach Weiss. And so they were good friends with the staff at Tulane and reached out to them. And that's when they were like, no, yes, if she was taller, we would absolutely be going after her. And so um, I made a visit to Campbell probably within three weeks of our first conversation and this was during a time long ago when you could actually walk all the way to the gate without having to have a plane ticket and so uh when I came through you know coach Caldwell and coach Weiss have been tormenting coach Watkins all week about I'm going to be this short I'm not going to be taller than the uh than the stand right there when you're going in and out of the gate and so when I came through she always tells me when you walk through that door you look like a giant it's so <laughs> so um you know, that was, that was my first experience. And then I had decided, I did decide to come to Campbell. Uh, once I got to the airport away from here, I called my high school coach and was like, yeah, I'm going to come to Campbell. And the reason that I decided that was because during my visit, there wasn't a lot going on. You know, I'm from mm-hmm. a football state. There was no football team here. Mm-hmm. However, Rolanda Campbell and Felicia Autry played pickup with me in Carter Gym that night. Mm-hmm. And that's what made me decide that I wanted to come and play with those girls.
0: So, so many people say what makes Campbell sp- special is the people. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like on your visit, you automatically connected with some people that were already here. What was it about Rolanda and Fel- Felicia that, that, um, that you know, drew you to them?
1: I think one of the biggest things was that when I said, can we go to the gym, it was probably about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And they said, let's go without hesitation. And that was the type of environment that I wanted to be. And I had been on a number of other visits before, and there was only one other visit that I had been on where I actually got the opportunity mm-hmm. to go out and play with the girls or play pickup, which back then you could do, mm-hmm. obviously against sure. the rules now. But this was one of the few places that I actually got to play with them. I got to see you know, how they play, outside of just, you know, within a structure of a basketball game. And so being able to have teammates that are okay with going to the gym in the middle of the night when we're in the middle of nowhere was something that's really important to me because I wanted to be around people whose focus was on basketball and not a lot of other things.
0: Right. You mentioned um, the possibility of attending law school and practicing law. Mm -hmm. Um, When did you know – Did you know coming in what your uh, what your intended major what you what you were interested in? There's a lot of students that come in and they kind of default into something or the other and then they find their passion once They've been here a few semesters or a couple of semesters. How did what did you know about? um, uh, You you know your your intended major coming in Janice,
1: so I wanted to do law or engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was going to be law, it was going to be something dealing with numbers, tax law, estate law, things like that. But when I got here, I went into accounting because Campbell at the time didn't have an engineering program. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was that accounting was not what I expected it to be. And uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Witherspoon, <laughs> in charge of the trust program, recruited me to be a trust major. And so there were uh, several other basketball players on the men's side that also spoke to me about the program and talked to me about how much they actually liked doing it. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I made the decision to change from that to trust because he also, Mr. Witherspoon also let me know that I would be able to do something with being an attorney. There's plenty of people that do a lot of things with wills and
0: estates. Big Big question here, Um, uh, and, uh, you know, from – Louisiana all the way over here to Bowie's Creek where the barbecue is vinegar based and all this um were you able to locate true Louisiana hot sauce when you were in uh, when you moved to Bowie's <laughs> Creek? <huh>? Never.
1: <laughs> Never. I it was a food culture shock because we're so used to eating so much seafood all the time. Mm-hmm. I was raised as a Catholic. I got to the Baptist Bible Belt and I was I was totally floored. It was just a real culture shock coming here, Um, you know, my first two weeks of school, there was a hurricane, and I had to look back at a map, like where am I, because for the first 18 years of my life, the only thing I knew about hurricanes was that they hit Florida and Louisiana, and so I had to go back and realize how close we actually are to the coast, and you know, still can be right in the path of a hurricane coming, but um, I really, uh, I did not get to ever have any real authentic Louisiana hot sauce, unless I brought it with me from home after a vacation. I used to make jokes to all of the students here when they would bring out the Texas Pete, because the first thing I did when I got to the cafe, I'm like, what is this? And I looked on the back and I said, this is Winston-Salem, this hot sauce <laughs> is made in Winston-Salem, this is not real hot sauce. And so, um, you know, eventually I just got to the point where every time I would go home, I would come back with the type of hot sauce that we have at home, which is far more spicier, full of red peppers, much less vinegar, Um, I got used to the barbecue. I got used to the barbecue so much that every once in a while I would actually crave it in the years that I was away. Like when I would come back, I would be like, "Okay, let me go over here to McCall's or let me go down here to Smithfield so I can actually get some barbecue. Because being in Louisiana, like being from Louisiana, my association with barbecue, right, air quotes barbecue, Mm -hmm. was you put chicken on the grill and you put barbecue sauce on it, Mm -hmm. not the chopped and pulled type of barbecue that North Carolina serves.
0: Right. There's, um, there's some folks that say uh, barbecue is not a verb, it's a, it's a noun. Yes. And, uh, and, <laughs> right. uh, and actually, I think it would be an adjective because you're either barbecued pork, barbecued mm-hmm. chicken, or uh, barbecued uh, brisket or beef of some sort um, or whatever else someone wanna bar- might want to barbecue. And I'm sure there's going to be comments left on this when we share this on social media, um, correcting me for my uh, errant ways and uh, my belief there. Um, Janice is there any connection between uh, Cajun food and your nickname uh, Nicole Inman my former assistant wanted me to ask you about the genesis of your nickname
1: so I got my nickname when I came on my visit so, Rolanda Campbell gave me that, that nickname on my visit. And she said, You remind me, there was a comedian named Small Fry. She was short, she was very pigeon toed. And she, um, rem- like the way that I spoke, my um, resonance and uh, the staccato that I spoke with reminded Rolanda of that comedian. And so she called me Small Fry on my visit. So, during the summer, when I get my rooming assignment, she's my roommate. So I call her and I'm like, Hey, it's Janice. I just want to know what you need me to bring. And she's like, Who? It's like, it's Janice. And she did this back and forth with me because, you know, if you know Rolanda, you know she's like the biggest jokester on the Mm -hmm. planet. I'm like, it's Janice. We're going back and forth 10 times. And I'm like, it's small fry. And she was like, well, I was wondering when you were going to say it. (laughs) So, you know, my entire first semester, she walked around introducing me to everybody as, hey, this is small fry. She's a point guard on our team. Hey, this is small fry. And so when we would get to games after the games people would be like your name is janice i'm like yes it's janice <laughs> so even now you know um there were a bunch of campbell alum that went and tailgated at the uh, unc campbell football game and we are on this big old group thread with about 50 of us and when i put my name like hey it's janice everybody started typing in small fry small fry, fry and so um it's one of those things where it's evolved you know my friends now like all of my campbell friends and my Harnett County friends that live around this area, they all call me Smalls. Coach Watkins calls me Fry. Coach Weiss and Coach Caldwell, they both call me Small Fry. And so it just depends on who it is, but I know if I answer the phone and it's an unknown number and somebody's like Small Fry, I already know that it's somebody from North Carolina that's calling me that. There are a handful of coaches like Audra Smith that still like will see me and be like Small Fry. But uh, for the most part, it's it really resonates when I'm here in the creek.
0: Janice, you mentioned that you knew on your your trip that you would be surrounded by people who had had a drive that you had. Um, For those who don't understand, the trust management program here at Campbell is one of the most demanding undergraduate programs uh, we have. It's one of the best ones. Um, At one time, it was the only one east of the Mississippi. And and it takes a lot of time and effort um, Mm -hmm. outside of class to prepare for that, and uh, I think uh, most people listening to this uh, recording understand that college athletics takes a lot of dedication too. How did you find the time? How did you make the time to balance those, um, those two pursuits, athletics and your academic? That's study? a
1: great question. I think that uh, before I get into the answer, I would just like to demand that the provost redo my transcripts because back then the business school was on a seven point scale, the only school on campus on a seven point scale. <laughs> and so when I would have my meetings with Coach Watkins, I would be like, hey, it's, it's a B or it's a C, but it's like an 86 or a 91. We're the only one on a seven point scale. Like, and so now we're on a 10 point scale in the business school. But um, one, I mean, we just, we just had to get it done. I think my biggest, my biggest drive was that I didn't want to be in study hall. So mm-hmm. I'll start there. I didn't want to be in study hall because I wanted that time to go to the gym. And I, I mean I spent hours, countless hours in the gym. But the other part of that was like I learned how to be a better student. I learned from Sarita Gambrill, who was in the pharmacy department. She was mm-hmm. a pharmacy pharmaceutical science major. Um, I would watch her taking notes for her class. And so I started to emulate what she was doing. And then by the time I got to my last couple of semesters, I was able to get on the dean's list in the conference. But um, I think the biggest thing is just making a decision as far as like what you want for yourself and how great you want to be at it. And so one of the things that we constantly talking to student athletes about is just the work that you put into it and so being able to have the opportunity to do an internship prior to my senior year. Um, I mean I got my job offer on February the 24th of 2001. I'll never forget it because we went down um, we went down to the golf courses. And Bank of America, those of those of us that had done our internships that summer and had done well, they offered us jobs. And it was just amazing because again, that's what you strive for when you're going to college to be able to be set up once you've graduated. But back then, the Trans America Athletic Conference, Transatlantic the TAC mm-hmm. conference, our travel schedule was I mean, it was grueling. We would fly out on a Wednesday, be gone. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and fly back Sunday. Every other week, uh, we were the furthest north team in the conference at the time, and so the the spring semesters were usually really hard and really challenging. But I do believe that it was a blessing that the women's basketball program was able to allow us to do summer school and to get classes in to get ahead in our coursework, and so that was something that was not only beneficial from an academic standpoint but also being able to be in the gym you know all summer long you know we would all have these little side jobs on campus but for the most part we were either you know in our two classes or we were in the gym and playing pickup with the guys all the time
0: wow in 2000 uh campbell won the asun uh then known as the tac Mm -hmm. championship and earned the program's first uh, trip to the NCAA tournament. Um, what are some of your favorite memories of that um, that TAC tournament down in Pelham, Alabama, Janice?
1: It was an amazing, amazing experience. Um, you know, um, the majority of my memories are, you know, that that game, you know, our first couple of games in that tournament were not easy, but they were like, we were a little bit tight in the first game. Um, I think the second game kind of breezed through that one a little bit more, but the first the first half of our game against Georgia State, all of us were just so tight. Like, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I'm not mistaken, we were down by like 12 at halftime of that game. And we just came out and went on a tear and just really started getting back to what we do well and, you know, playing with some defensive intensity, shooting the ball with confidence and things like that and getting the ball to April Cromarty mm-hmm. and let her go to work as the player of the year and just, you know, really and truly just playing Campbell basketball.
0: You defeated Georgia State, the arch rival, in the conference at that rival. time. What made that rivalry so intense, Janice?
1: I think it was just the back and forth, you know, I think that – you know the Georgia State team, they were always the girls that were talking trash. They were really the only quote unquote urban school mm-hmm. in the conference at the time. You know, some of the other schools were outside of the city, um, out in the sticks a little bit, but they were the only school like in an urban area. And the girls were a little bit different than our team, and so you know, you have to get used to people trash talking you. And so it was one of those things where it's like, Oh, is that what we're doing? Are oh, we trash talking? Bet. So, um, I think that. You know, the the Georgia State teams that we played, they certainly carried a certain air about, you know, mm-hmm. and they were, in, and with good reason, like they were a really good team. Right. Um, but we were too. And so we weren't really, you know, we weren't going to be, you know, backing down to anyone. And so um, it just was always a back and forth. I think most of those games over the last three years that I played here once April got here. Those last three years, the games were always close. You know, they had the freshman of the year one year, we had the freshman of the year the next year. They had the coach of the year, we had the coach of the year. They had the player of the year, we had the player of the year, and so it was all—it was always like a really, really cool battle to see.
0: I never really considered the the thought uh, that uh, their team was drawn more from. Uh, larger cities and urban areas. But when you think about your starting five, you're from Slidell, Louisiana. Carrie Emery from Newport, Newport. North Carolina. Uh, April Cromarty from down in Sampson County, Clinton area. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lisa Rugg from just across the county line in Benson. And then Sarah Moore is from the Roanoke area, but Mm -hmm. she's from the bustling metropolis of Fincastle, (laughs) Virginia. Um, You know, and you know, how, I'm boggled by the fact that I can even recall that, yeah. but uh, maybe it's because you typed the roster back in a couple t- couple times back then. But you know, that's that's an interesting uh, a contrast mm-hmm. b- between the two. But y'all you had know, all played so much basketball against so many different okay. teams and stuff, and the and the fact it's the little city. Against a little town, against the big city, Atlanta, Bowie's Creek, that mm-hmm. there was so some great contrast and, and stuff. But I, I, and it seemed too that when you know, Coach Henry Lee Henry, who had been at Mercer mm-hmm. with Andrea Congreves, yes. um, and uh, we had, uh, Campbell had played Mercer there when uh, Coach Henry was there, and then that's Portage when gym. and that's when the 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 rivalry seemed to change from, from when Ke- Coach Henry moved to Georgia State, mm-hmm. and um, you know and as Campbell transitioned to the tack and oh my goodness there she is and there's that same uh that same program and uh it 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 there were games that you circled on the schedule every year absolutely Janice you mentioned on your you know your your even on your your recruiting um visit you know, Carter Gym ended up being a special place mm-hmm. for you. At that time that you played, it was the country one of the country's smallest basketball facilities, mm-hmm. uh, second only to uh, Charleston Southern. I think after they uh, put in uh, some some chair backs and same uh, all uh, all 947 seats. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about Carter Gym, and what made that place special to you?
1: There's a bunch of things. I was I was just talking uh, to Justin Wilkins. <laughs> in the arena uh, before we started, and uh, I was talking to some of the, the setup crew and just telling them how awesome it used to be with the students right on the court. You know, they would show up face painted, chest painted, and the band, like the band was always loud and rocking. The, the greatest thing in the world is to have a women's basketball game that's packed. Mm-hmm. And there's not a men's game following it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I absolutely found incredible about playing here and how really connected the community was with the women's basketball team, men's basketball team. And, again, we didn't have football at the time. So basketball is the top sport on campus. You go, you go out to Dunn or Lillington you're or Walmart, and people are like, hey, I saw y'all playing on Channel 40. And it's like you feel like rock stars. And – um I just feel like with Carter Gym, I don't know how many, but I know we didn't lose very many games Mm -hmm. in that facility in the five years that I played. You know, the year that I redshirted, we beat Wake Forest in there and we beat Florida International in there. And those were games that, you know, you just have these really, really fantastic memories of, you know, some special games. I mean, Carter Gym is so special to me. Like, my dog's name is Carter. And people (laughs) always ask me, they're like, is it like, did you name her after, you know, Beyonce? I'm like, no, I named her after Jim. And they're like, why? I'm like, because there's not really any good girl nicknames. But Carter Jim is such a special place to me. So, I don't have any kids. I have a dog. My dog's name is Carter. So...
0: That that's absolutely beautiful, and of course, if you're here during summer school, uh, you worked the basketball camp, mm-hmm. and um, Carter Gym had no air conditioning. Oh. And uh, it, you know, I'm sure that it gets hot in Louisiana in the summer. It does. But I don't know that it get it can get much hotter than uh, the sand hills of North Carolina in oh. late June and July. Um, tell me what it was like yeah. trying to work out and and or yeah. even working camp in there.
1: Well, I will say. In the, in the south, on the Gulf Coast, they run the AC all year round. Mm-hmm. So, playing in gyms, like, you know, we were used to playing in the heat because we played outside a lot. Mm-hmm. But Carter Gym is a different level of playing. You know, we would come during summer school when we knew, like, classes were done by about 12 o'clock. We'd go eat lunch. We'd be playing basketball in there from, you know, one o'clock on to about nine o'clock at night, just nonstop. You got three shirts, you're drenched in sweat. Um, we just had, I mean, we had the big fan that we kept in front Mm -hmm. of the door. Uh, We kept the doors open and just had the fan blowing. But again, like when you're talking about people that love basketball and love the opportunity that they've been given to play and be on a college scholarship, then you understand why they're not complaining about it like yeah we'll say man it's hot in here but that never ran like it never was hot enough in carter gym to run us out of carter gym we left carter gym when we were done playing and you know even in the summers it was always awesome to see like the little kids playing in there you know we utilized buoys creek elementary school for part of camp and that's where all the little tiny babies were but um Camps were always a fun time just because you get so many different personalities coming down to Bowie's Creek. And especially like if you've got a recruit or two that came for summer camp and they're looking, but then they come during a regular season game and they're like, holy cow, like this environment is totally different than summer camp. But yeah, the summer is in Bowie's Bu- in Creek. Like if you could play basketball through that level of heat when you start talking about adversity, that's, that's some adverse conditions. And so, being able to go into other places and other arenas and play in front of hostile fans, you're like, I just played in a 112 degree gym. <laughs> this, is, this is nothing. So, but um, yeah, we've got some great memories of just playing in Carter Gym, not just like in the summers, but also during the school year, just in there playing pickup until Blaze would kick us out.
0: Janice, um, for decades, in June every year, mm-hmm. Carter Jim was basically the center of the college basketball universe. When John Wooden and Press Maravich and mm-hmm. and Pete Maravich and and others, like, legends of the game like Kay Yao and Sylvia Hatchell, mm-hmm. um, would come to work at the Campbell Basketball School, okay. and when I walk people through Carter gym, I still will walk them to the free throw line near the doors and say, this is where Pete Maravich would bet Lynn Chapel <laughs> that he would make 24 <laughs> out of 25 free throws and 20 of them would be a swish
1: All nets. when,
0: when Pete was in middle school mm-hmm. and in Lynn Chappell was the ACC player of the year. Mm-hmm. And the bet would be for a Pepsi, which was <laughs> probably 10 cents across the street at the old drug store there. But um, you know, Louisiana and North Carolina share the Maraviches in um, yes. and, and many ways. Um, you know, Pete uh, was went to high school in, in, in uh, Raleigh at Broughton, and then, of course, was at LSU uh, for the start of Showtime. Yes. That's the original Showtime the original with Showtime. Press and Pete. Uh, was it – didn't go unnoticed to you um, that – the the history that that uh, Campbell plays in in college basketball in the 20th century I wouldn't think
1: no it doesn't I I mean I'm a I'm a sports fanatic I'm a sports junkie and always absorbing all things sports related and even growing up in Louisiana like watching women's basketball men's basketball um any opportunity that I could get to you know watch basketball and knowing everybody in Louisiana especially that southern part of Louisiana knew who pete was and just was stunned and amazed at what he was able to do um but coming to campbell and being here to see you know 12 1500 little boys running around two weeks in a row it was insanity in terms of just the sheer numbers because at the time i think when i was here for undergrad there may have been 1800 maybe 1700 students here during the regular school year so to have that many campers here. And just to see a lot of the old pictures, I actually, when Coach, Rock, when Coach Watkins retired, um, I got an original uh, Pete Maravich and Press Maravich picture um, that she had. And one of the other things I got was uh, Press had drawn up the Drake Shuffle, and she still had the original paperwork of what he had drawn up. And so, you know, it's it's amazing. Like, I mean, we used to call her Office the Museum because there's so much history that was in those walls and just to go in there and she would she had you know every group of players every team that she coached mm-hmm. was framed on her walls and you look back and they start in black and white and so you get you get you know you get the uh, sepia colored tone and then you know you get the full color and then you watch how things change you know the the pictures from You know, my first, my second year, like our shorts are all the way down to our calves because of Allen Iverson and these baggy shorts. And then you get to, you know, the later pictures or the more uh, recent photos of the teams that she'd coached. And you're looking at, you know, the fashion with, you know, shorts that are Mm mid-thigh. And so the history of Campbell, I mean, Coach McCall, when we were in our old office, my office was next to his office. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he would still come in and sit in there and, you know, do some work. And so people that don't know like the history of, you know, the McCall rebounder and things like that. And, you know, they they know what the contraption is, but they don't know who the person is that developed that or, you know, where he started. And so, you know, understanding how embedded Buies Creek is in so much of the history of basketball is just really amazing.
0: When Coach Watkins started the, the, um, as, a GA and then a full-time assistant then head coach uh, just two years after she graduated uh, shortly thereafter Press Maravich joined the coaching staff here as an assistant on the men's side mm-hmm. and for several years she shared an office with Press and oh, she wow. still talks about those days mm-hmm. um, one of the things I talked with coach Watkins about through the years is um, her influences some of her what are her heroes and, and she, uh, because of, uh, she came up in the time, you know, she was in high, school, graduated from high school in 1975, um, you know, in North Carolina at that time, it was David Thompson, then Phil Ford, mm-hmm. and but she said that she didn't have, um, you know, it was the early days after Title IX, she didn't have any female athletics right. heroes. Mm-hmm. And I had never considered that because mm-hmm. growing up, and I'm, I'm uh, close to the same age that Wanda is, but... You know, I always I was Pete Maravich or or Phil Ford or Walter Davis, whoever's in the driveway that day, whoever I'd seen on TV that that <laughs> right. uh, the night before or whatever. But she didn't have that experience. Um, did you grow up um, imitating or you know idolizing any female athletes that you knew? I mean,
1: well, for for me, initially it was just gymnastics, mm-hmm. and so I definitely had some idols. But when I moved over to basketball, you know. Um, My first summer in Bowie's Creek at the end of my freshman year for summer school was when the WNBA started. So, you know, you've got myself, Felicia Autry, and Rolanda Campbell watching professional women's basketball in the U.S. for the first time over there in Powell Hall. And so, um, you know, we would go to the gym and say, you know, I'm Tina Thompson, and we would show up with, like, our lipstick on. (laughs) (laughs) Because again, we'd never seen that before. Like, wait, you can you can be a basketball player and try to be feminine and pretty. Like, so things like that were never like you never saw that against the the teams that we played. And so, um, being able to go out there, you know, Felicia was always the Lisa Leslie. You know, she was mm-hmm. always the Lisa Leslie. But um, for me, it was just like I wanted. I was always a big Teresa Witherspoon fan. She played at Louisiana Tech, so you know she played with louisiana tech with stan williamson's wife
0: debbie debbie primo yeah. williamson absolutely. yes our, so, our uh, future ad and um and his wife who is now way up in the ncaa absolutely. uh um yep. overseeing uh, officiating mm-hmm. um so you know at at for a while there um and for many sports Uh, You know, even if you look at professional soccer in this Mm -hmm. country, it didn't come really into in the high levels until the World Cup in 94. Right. And uh, then it took a while to get going. And, uh, you know, and of course, the the, the WNBA is, is is it's own spectacle in of itself now Mm -hmm. and it stands on its own merits and and the players are are rock stars they are they are noticeable and noticed all over the place and uh, and that's trickling down into the college game now as more and more games uh, have exposure Mm -hmm. Um, and that's got to be something that's got to be so satisfying to you as uh, you know in your chosen vocation that you you have role models that you can point out to people.
1: Yeah, and that's the, I think that's the, the greatest thing about what we've moved to in terms of women's basketball. You know, I think uh, early on in my coaching career, one of the things that we would see frequently is women's basketball head coaching hires coming from the men's side mm-hmm. on a regular basis. It would be like a men's assistant that would get like some top-notch job and things like that. But now you're starting to see um, a certain level of respect garnered by these women who are just phenomenal leaders of other women. And, you know, you're starting to see, you know, just such a growth in the branding and awareness of women's basketball as a whole, not just from a professional level, but also at the college level with more teams having access to, you know, ESPN platforms and live streaming and things like that. I think Campbell was ahead of its time. You know, there's there's not a single – Player that I currently coach that can say they played on as many television games as we played on 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, having, you know, to be able to say, hey, I played on the same channel that Jerry Springer was coming on. Everybody was watching (laughs) Springer in the 90s. Everybody was watching Springer. And we came on right after him or maybe right before. But either way, people saw us. And that's something that not every school, especially in the late 90s, mm-hmm. you know, who else was playing on TV, like a live TV game on television for a mid-major? We weren't NC State, we weren't Duke, but we played more TV games than they did. And I think I don't, I don't think a lot of people recognize that or realize that. Um, my first game at Campbell was a TV game against South Carolina. They came mm-hmm. here and they smacked us, mm-hmm. and I cried because I wasn't used to losing. In at the in the locker room, Coach Watkins said, "Some of y'all gonna need to grow up." Now I know she's talking to me. This is like when you go to church and the pastor is talking to the congregation, but you feel like they're talking right to you. And um, at the time, I mean, at the time, I was just like, "Holy cow!" Like we just lost. Not really understanding the dynamics of, you know, SEC versus us being in, you know, the new the old A Son at the time. And so, um, just being able to Grow, I think was one of the things that I can say that I was able to do over the course of my time here. I always tell people that I was born and raised in Slidell, but I grew up in Bowie's Creek.
0: Wow, Janice, you've you've said the names of several former teammates, uh, Sarita and Felicia and Rolanda, and then you've added. George Miller, Corey Bird, uh, Corey Best, and uh, some of the other men's players, and you you say you have a, you, you've alluded to the fact that you're in a big group of uh, folks that stay in touch through uh, through the, the beauty of electronic communication d- despite the miles. I find this is some, uh, a phenomenon that happens um, to a lot of Campbell graduates. Mm-hmm. Um, in whatever program or if they cross programs or whether it's athletics or something else what is it that makes people get so close while they're in Bowie's Creek why are you why are you so close to this large group of people
1: I mean all you got out here is each other you got you have to you have to generate your own fun you know not everybody had cars back then Mm -hmm. you know uh, we none of us had cell phones in college I think Sarah Moore had a phone in her car but it wasn't like a mobile Mm -hmm. phone per se but in order to pass the time you spent more time together as opposed to time in a space together right like now you see people in the same space but not necessarily in the space enjoying each other together you see people they may be sitting next to each other but they're on the phones and their attention is drawn more towards their phones as opposed to each other. Whereas back then we literally got to know each other. We, you know, we knew each other's families and things like that. And a lot of that just had to do with just a human connection because there wasn't a whole lot to do out here. There's not a lot of trouble to be had. You know, we all had our little things that we got. You know, we all they're college students. We're gonna get in trouble. But nothing so major. That it would take away from us, from an academic standpoint, or from an athletic standpoint, and so having you know card games, domino games, board games, and things like that, um, all of that stuff happened literally in a vacuum because we were here. Um, you know, the the nearest town, at the, I mean, Lillington has grown tremendously, uh, but at the time there was not a lot between Campbell and Dunn. You know, that how that brand Mm -hmm. that how I call I still call it brand new. But that housing complex going towards done on the left, that wasn't there when I was in school here. And just, you know, we we didn't realize how quality the time was at the time. It's only after the fact that you realize how much quality time we spent with each Mm -hmm. other, because now when we do have moments of getting back together, it's like we never missed a beat.
0: Our guest today on Tales from the Creek is Janice Washington, women's basketball great here at Campbell University. Janice, you graduated in uh, trust management, uh, all the while setting school record for games played and finishing in the top uh, three in assists and steals. Your 15 assists in a game, which is tied with Wanda Watkins, by the way, still stands as a single game history, but you chose to work a year in the financial field. and But what drew you back to coaching?
1: Honestly, I never realized I, co- I wanted to coach until my last year at Campbell. Uh, each year, Coach Watkins had the players on her team write out their short-term goals and long-term goals. And when I came back as a coach, I was in one of the other coaches' old offices, and in the drawer were all the goal sheets. And on mine, it said, be a basketball coach, be a trust officer. And, you know, when I was doing trust, um, it certainly was something that was enjoyable. I mean, I was living in Tampa, Florida, Mm -hmm. for crying out loud. Like, I can't complain about that. But um, there's something about basketball. Like, I loved it. You know, I spent my first two or three seasons every morning. I had film with Coach Watkins at 9 a.m. Like, I would be – in class at eight and then waiting on her to arrive at her office right after that. And we would just watch film together for, I mean, that's for my first three years. And so I always was very, very keen on understanding or wanting to understand what was happening in the game, how to be better, what I needed to be doing to set my teammates up to be successful. And what happened was Coach Caldwell decided that she needed to spend more time with her family, and her parents were getting older. And so she got out, and that's when Coach Watkins called me. And <laughs> I laughed, and I was like, wait, I get to wear sneakers every day? Because, you know, the trust field is very conservative. Mm-hmm. It's very formal, so I was getting dressed up for work every single day. And all I wanted to know is, oh, wait, so I can wear sneakers to work now? <laughs> so, um, you know, it was it was really a no-brainer for me. To come and coach because I, I just I love basketball and being able to be involved with it. And even now, like I feel this scene, um, my first my first summer, my very first recruiting trip, Coach Watkins and I went to Dallas and I was sitting in the gym and I looked at her. And she was like, what's wrong? Fry? And I said, I can't believe somebody is paying me to sit here and watch basketball. And I am now in year 18 of coaching college. And I still say it's something that I get to do. Because I just, I can't imagine doing anything else. I've, def, I've done different things, um, and I've always been a person that I want to be the best at whatever it is I mm-hmm. do. So whatever it is I'm doing, I'm striving to be the best at it. And so um, I've done you know some other things outside of basketball and been fairly successful at those things. But being able to impact young people is not something that everybody gets to do. And being able to help young people grow and reach whatever their success is is something that's so special and unreplaceable that i just i just couldn't imagine doing anything and i can easily see how coach watkins did it for some 35 years because it's just it's just remarkable being able to watch a kid that you coach like we we know like okay like if we can get this kid in to Campbell because again high academic standards if we can get this kid in it's going to be a struggle to get this person to graduate we're going to have to be on them and to see those kids walk across the stage to see first generation college kids walk across the stage i'm trying to not to get choked up mm-hmm. thinking about some of this stuff but it's so special and it's one of those things that like you just you can't pinpoint why you get to be the person to do it, but it's not anything that I would ever trade for anything in the world.
0: You left Campbell um, after six seasons, went to work in civilian service with the US Army and stops mm-hmm. all over the world in the country, yeah. um, including Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, you returned to coaching yeah. um, to Bowie's Creek. Well, what had happened since you'd been gone? The, Pope, the Pope Center <laughs> is here. It's air conditioned in the summertime. How at, at new arena, new conference. The back mm-hmm. in the Big South, uh, Campbell a charter member of the Big South from '84 to '94, and then. Uh, 17 years, like I like used to call it, wandering in the wilderness in the across the southeastern United States <laughs> <in> the <laughs> tack and the TAC and the A Sun, right. and then back to the Big South. And now, what h- was it different uh, when you came back because of the building, because of the the, the campus was growing, football was here, more mm-hmm. people were around on the weekends. How was how are things different? How were they the same?
1: Yeah, so um, things were definitely different. Um, just getting used to a lot of new faces, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the same faces, but a lot of new faces um, and uh, and some same faces and new roles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that coming back to the new arena, so the new arena was being built when I left. So I was aware that we were mm-hmm. getting ready um, to move into a new arena, but we moved into the new arena, I believe the year the year right after I left, mm-hmm. we moved into the new arena. And so I think, you know, having had, you know, some players that I had coached to be able to experience a facility like this was really incredible. Um, but to come here and to actually, you know, be able to see it myself, because in the five years that I had been gone away, I had not had the opportunity to come mm-hmm. back because I was all over the country with the army and things like that. And so um, I think coming back, I think the biggest differences was just getting reaccustomed really to the facility not necessarily having to go to Bowie's Creek to share a space, um, but also the football, like football was a big deal now. And so being mm-hmm. able to host recruits during football games and things like that, obviously the stadium has been upgraded and renovated now, you know, some, it's been 15 years. It has. It's been 15 years already. And so um, that's definitely something that was different. I think the one, the greatest thing about Bowie's Creek that has yet to ever change is the people. You know, the people here have always been very special. The people here have always been what truly makes Campbell Campbell.
0: After three seasons, you get your chance to run your own program. Mm-hmm. Tell us tell us some of the factors why you chose to mm-hmm. to leave Campbell and, and head down to Daytona State. Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, Coach Watkins was in the process of retiring, and I still really, really wanted to coach. I had uh, spoken to her a couple of years before I'd had, so – Prior to me coming back to Campbell the second time, I was the head coach at Lackawanna Junior mm-hmm. College up in Scranton um, on a part-time basis, but full-time, but full-time essentially. But um, Part-time I, time pay, full-time part-time, work. Part-time, absolutely. You got it. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so um, at the end of my second year back, I spoke to Coach Watkins about some opportunities to be a head coach at like the Division Three, to Division Two level, um, and a couple of those opportunities would get me back closer to home, closer to my family. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I still, since 1996, the closest at that time that I had been to home was still about 13 hours. And mm-hmm. so being able to go, you know, eight hours, four hours from home was something that I was trying to do and get back closer to home. But none of those really panned out. But when the opportunity to go to Daytona state came up, I was really intrigued by it. Um, Ryan Ryan. Ritter mm-hmm. had been at Campbell for the five years that I was gone, he was here. And then when I arrived, he was on his way out. Mm-hmm. And so um, he was part of my process of getting involved mm-hmm. with the job there at Daytona State. And that was certainly an incredible experience. Division One junior college women's basketball in Florida is the top in the country. Um, Even within the last 16 years, 13 of the national champions have come from Florida. So if you're able to recruit and be successful there, then you'll be certainly successful in some other places. And I think a lot of the challenges that I faced at the junior college level from a geographical standpoint, from a resources standpoint, are certainly some things that might be you know, similar that might run similar to, you know, being at Campbell because people would be like, Oh, you're in Daytona, it's easy to recruit. And I'm like, Yeah, but when do people have time to go to the beach? Like, we're practicing. Mm-hmm. So there's def- definitely different things to, you know, just remind people about. But I certainly enjoyed the experience there, you know, being able to reach a certain demographic of student athlete that was totally different than anything that I had ever experienced at Campbell when. We recruited players to come to Campbell. They usually already knew they wanted to go to med school. They wanted to be a nurse. They wanted to do pharmacy law. They were, you know, well put together. They were organized, and they knew how to take care of business. Whereas when I got to the junior college level, a lot of times those kids were just lost trying to figure it out. And so um, not all the time were they there because they didn't have good grades. They may not have gotten a lot of high school exposure. They may need more skill development. But it was really, really a good experience there, being able to run my own program for five years in a really, really challenging environment in um, Region 8 women's basketball. Like I said, like the national championships, you know, uh, Rooney Scoville down there has got her name on the court while she's still coaching Mm -hmm. at Gulf Coast. I think she has like 13 national championships. I mean, it's incredible being able to play against some of the you know best coaches that are not necessarily known amongst you know all of the coaches throughout the country but on junior college circuits and schools that recruit junior college circuits these coaches are really well known because of the success that they've had in being able to not just recruit quality student athletes but Wear a lot of different hats because you have to manage so many different personalities at the junior college level that may not necessarily fit immediately at the four-year level. And so um, we really, I don't know, like it was, it was a really good time. It was a really good time at Daytona State. I think we were, you know, able to go down there and be successful because we were able to find the right kids that fit with what Daytona State had to offer.
0: Janice, what's the biggest difference in being an assistant coach and a head coach?
1: Oh, man. (laughs) Being an assistant coach means you got time for basketball stuff. (laughs) As a head coach, there's so much other stuff that you're dealing with with regards to meetings and boosters and fundraising and things like that. Um, Whereas when you're an assistant coach, you are working on a lot of the logistical support, the skill development, taking care of – players that need different things. Um, but I think, you know, having having the buck stop with you and having to make the really, really hard decisions is, you know, the biggest part of being the head coach when you're in charge. Like, you're going to have to make tough decisions, and you have to live with those decisions and not allow, you know, self-doubt or, you know, second-guessing that what those decisions are impact you and how you build your team's success. Right.
0: So three seasons ago, you make the leap to the CIA, mm-hmm. one of the highest regarded D2 <laughs> conferences in the country. Nothing yes. to it, though. <laughs> your team goes 22-8. and eight. You win the CIA title and make the program's first NCAA tournament appearance. Top it all off, you were named the Big House Games D2 National Coach of the Year. Tell us about Lincoln University. <laughs> and tell us about what has made your program so successful. Folks, that's a forty-four and sixteen record over the first her first two seasons, making the jump from junior college to one of the best conferences in the country. Tell us a little bit about Lincoln.
1: Yeah, the CIA, is, the CIAA is different. When I tell you, like the fans, they always come out and support, regardless of where you are. It's about to be a hostile environment. Um, you know, they are the only Division II program conference in the country that gets every single one of their conference tournament games on an ESPN platform. Mm -hmm. So they, I mean, they are, I mean, everybody knows the CIAA brand, especially in this area. You know, going to school in the heart of CIAA country, I was very familiar with the CIAA. Lincoln is a really special place. You know, it is the furthest north school in the the, uh, CIAA conference. But uh, we have really, really, over the last five to six years, started to see a peak with Lincoln's athletics. Uh, Lincoln transitioned from Division three to Division two 10 years ago. So uh, not 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 a charter member of the CIAA conference by any means And so you know it's it's been a while for us to get to a point where we're able to compete on a regular basis in all of our sports. We still have some sports that are um, breaking through and breaking ground in some areas, but we are certainly from a basketball perspective um, looking to maintain the success that we've been able to gather. And a lot of that happens because I think, you know, we, we recruit through the portal, but we also recruit quality high school kids. We recruit junior college kids, but the biggest thing is just making sure they're gonna be a good fit for what Lincoln University is. Um, It is the first degree-granting HBCU in the country. There is so much history there with the Underground Railroad, the history of slavery in the US, and um, it's just a very, very special place. They are very supportive of women's basketball there. We have led the league in attendance the last two seasons from a women's basketball perspective. Um, A standalone women's basketball game will have 1,400 students there. Um, so it's really it's a really special place you know um, I think we've lost three home games four in two years so it's a it's a tremendously difficult place for opponents to come and play Um, we just try to do our best to prepare for the opponents and you know have a good game plan and then the kids you know they're going to do their best to go out and execute but we've just I mean I think winning breeds winning. The program was on the rise when I decided to get into the mix with the interview process. Um, so for a number of years, the program has been on the rise, and so um, I just happened to be, you know, part of them continuing to build on something that was kind of, you know, starting to be foundational. You know, I think that last year, uh, like last year, we won the CIAA North Division, but we had 10 new kids on the roster, and so being able to constantly remind them like hey like being successful is not easy and sometimes it's not fun the fun part is winning there's a lot of work that goes into it there's a lot of strategy that goes into it there's a lot of discipline and sacrifice that Mm -hmm. goes into it and so our team they know they know that they're aware of that they have to learn quotes just like coach Watkins used to make us do but I think that they understand how they understand how committed I am to their success as student-athletes in terms of getting them connected to the right people from a business perspective to getting them connected with people when they want to coach. And so when I ask them in their junior and senior years, like, what is it that you want to do? Like, tell me. Because I've had so many work lives, there's so many areas for me to connect people to other people. And having worked for the Army for, you know, that handful of years, one of the things that I know and realize is that the military is always looking for leaders. And if you can survive college sports for any number of years, you're probably the type of leader that they're looking for, which is why Ray Edwards is now a <laughs> naval officer. And right. so you you get um, – You get to connect people with so many different people that you never really realized that you would be able to connect them with and so i think just by i don't i I just i don't know like i i i'm in love with helping people find Mm -hmm. their success whatever that means to them wow
0: janice this weekend we're recognizing wanda watkins for nearly half a century of service and dedication to Campbell she got here in 1975 she's in year 49 counting four years of undergrad and 45 years now of working at Campbell what are some of the things that you've learned from coach Watkins as a player coach or as a person
1: I think just being able to be dependable I think is the biggest thing you know she has coached I don't know how many of us and the one thing that I would say that I have taken with me that I tell my players is, like, you you may not love my approach to this thing, but I'm going to prepare you for the real world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that she always strives to do is just prepare her students, her student athletes, for the real world. And I think that all of us, you know, can really say that that's something that was always embedded in everything that she was trying to do. Um, All of our team dynamics are applicable to real world situations as far as being responsible, being dependable, being accountable. Like it's so much easier for us. When you make a mistake, own it so that we can address it and then we're gonna move forward. And so I think that her, you know, embedding a lot of those principles in us in terms of team dynamics, is why there's so many of us that have you know found success in so many different areas of the workforce
0: folks she means it janice's team has a game monday night back in (laughs) pennsylvania there aren't too many college basketball coaches who would travel across multiple state lines in the middle of the season to honor one of their mentors finally janice can you put into words how campbell university and the buoys creek community have impacted your life
1: Yeah, that'd be difficult. I think, you know, my my mom told me growing up that I was not going to college in a school touching Louisiana because I was a little knucklehead. I mean, it was a culture shock when I came here and (laughs) the stories that my teammates could tell about, you know, just me getting adjusted to living in such a rural environment. Like, I'm not from an urban center, but we were 12 miles from New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And coming up in a suburban, you know, being able to just get to New Orleans in no time. When I got here, I was way rough around the edges, not a little bit, but very, very rough around the edges when I got here. And so, um, you know, like I mentioned before, like I grew up, like I learned how to be a professional. I learned time and place and, you know, the things that are most important here in Buies Creek. And, of course, once a camel, always a camel.
0: I'm Stan Cole, and our guest today on Tales from the Creek has been Janice Washington. Thank you, Janice, for sharing your Tales from the Creek.